Hello again. We, uh, we may have a lot less people here this week, but I think, uh, I think it's okay. I, uh, to say I had a busy ministry week would be an understatement. There's been a lot going on, and something I, that I'm reminded of with so much going on is just how blessed we are to get to do what we do, and uh, everything I've done has been such a blessing. But, but last night, I, I uh, got done with a wedding. I went home, and I got my notes ready for today's service, and I was about to relax, and I get a message from... Uh, Amanda, that she wasn't going to be able to make it. She just wasn't feeling well, and she didn't want to take any chances. And uh, I was like, okay. And I was fine with that. It was at 8 o'clock, I come over, and I got everything ready for the children's church. And, and Amanda and I were racking our brains of who to get to do the children's church. And for both of us, it was a no-brainer. The one person who could jump in at a minute's notice would be Johanna. Johanna Ricketts, who's 13 years old, we knew was trained in a way that she can jump right in there and take over that children's ministry. Now, mind you, we got an adult down there with her, Lisa's with her, and she's going to be helping out, but I promise you, after the end of this message, you will understand that that is a sermon illustration that I could not have made up. Like, that's, it blows my mind that that little girl, and when I asked her, it was not a thing of like, I don't know, she said yes. Immediately, there was no question. She would jump in and do it. So let's, uh, let's get into the word. And when you see her, she hates attention. So make sure you give her a lot of attention. And her, and her mom. I'm sure her mom's more than happy right now. So that's a good thing. So we're going to be in First Samuel 17 starting out. And uh, you've probably over time heard Jason and I use these. 1 Samuel 17 often in messages because both of ours, one of our favorite things. And uh, I'm going to try to paraphrase a little bit of this because I don't want to go too long today with Elise and Johanna trying to wrangle kids down there. So, uh, But 1 Samuel 17.4 says, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span and had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. This dude was a bad man. I could break down all that of just how awesome this dude is, but it ain't that important. Just know this guy was huge, and he's carrying more weight than probably four of us in here can, even with Luke on our side. We ain't going to carry that much weight. And it, uh, he was a man. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? I am not a Philistine, and are you... I am not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Am I not a Philistine? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if he prevails against him, if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today, Lord. Father God, I pray you would just speak into this service today, Lord, that your words would come through me, that I would get out of your way, Lord, that our hearts would receive what you have for us, Lord. And Father God, I pray for the children's church. That, Father God, you would just use Johanna to speak to those little hearts, God. And everybody in this building, God, would be completely changed by what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, so I love this story. It's a person that nobody can beat. You look at the Israelites, and I will tell you, I have once been a young man. And as a young man, you're not scared of much. 
I was also a young man who was trained into an army. And whenever you're in an army, you're scared of nothing. You think you can beat anything. And then now you are seeing a king and an entire army scared because of this big giant of a man standing out there yelling at him, right? And I've heard this taught many a times. I've heard people try to say that when you look at it, that um, when you look at what's going on here, a lot of times they'll say there's only two people battle. There's only two people in this battle, and it's David and it's Goliath. And I will tell you, when the, the initial fight happens, that's true. But they were already at war, right? The two armies were already at war. Just in the same way that in Genesis 3, God said we would always be at war. That God's people would always be at war with Satan's people. There would always be enmity between us. We would always be in a battle, right? And these guys are looking at it, and this giant is so big that all these people are so afraid of him. And they don't know what to do. All he's asking for, all this giant is asking for, is somebody to beat him. And if you do it, we'll serve you. Right? And then you go down to verse 16, and it says, For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And so he is taunting them for 40 straight days. That's a long time to be sitting in fear, right? And we know David in this time, David has already been anointed to be the king of Israel. He hadn't took his place yet, but he was anointed to be the king of Israel. And David is going back and forth from tending his, his father's sheep, which he was a great shepherd, and then running back and forth for his dad to, to uh, minister to Saul and to his brothers and all the people there. So he wasn't unfamiliar with what was going on. He just didn't understand who Goliath was. And uh, so his dad sends him to take food to his brothers. And in verse 23, it says, as he talked with them, talking about his brothers, Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Still afraid. And David, but David heard what he said. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said, you know, this is a light bulb moment for David. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So here's David sitting back like, this guy don't even know God. Why are we afraid of him? Everybody else is looking at the giant for the giant of a person he is. And David's looking at him and saying, he don't even know God. Why am I afraid of somebody who doesn't know God? Like, it's a no-brainer for him. I'll kill him and, hey, I'll take whatever I can get. Like, his whole thought process is, is why would a person who serves God be afraid of a giant that doesn't know God? And I want you to think about that in your life. Why would you be scared of anything here on earth when you know God? And here's David, he's dumbfounded. Like, I can't imagine what's going through his head, but he's probably like, man, if you guys seen the things I've seen, this guy, he's just a human. He's just a giant. You know, he talks about, I've killed bears. I've killed lions with my bare hands. Tell you what, if you kill a lion or a bear with your bare hands, just one of them, every man in this church is going to say, that guy there is a man. He's tough. 
Bob Withers is a strong dude, and I guarantee you if a bear came up, he's taken off. Right? It's every man for himself at that moment. <laughs> so David realizes, hey, look, man, this is what my dad or what my father in heaven's done for me. He's allowed me to overcome these things. And so he tells Saul, hey, I'll take on this giant. I'll take him out. Now, mind you, he'd been training for this moment. He also had been anointed to be the king of Israel. Right? Saul was the king of Israel, but David was anointed to be king. Right? So Saul agrees to allow him to go out. Tries to armor him up and make him like all of his other soldiers. And David said, no, I'm going to go out the way that God's trained me to fight. And then in verse 41, we see, and the Philistine moved forward. And this is them about to go fight. And I, I will tell you, a lot of times you see this taught as David being a little kid. I don't believe David was a little kid. I believe David was a young man, probably... 17, somewhere between 17 and 19, probably, maybe 20. That's just from studying, that's kind of what I take from it. He had to be big enough for Saul to give him his armor. If Saul's giving him his armor, there's all kinds of other armor. There's only one reason why Saul, being the biggest guy in all the land, would give him his armor is because David was not small. He was not little. And you can't be small to barehandedly kill a lion or a bear. Okay? So I want you to understand, it's not like a lot of people dictate, like depict him as this kid who comes up and does all this. I don't think he is. So, yeah, we're just going to go. Verse 41, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, and his shield bearer in front of him. Like this guy had so much stuff, he had a gigantic shield with a shield bearer. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now these guys knew how to trash talk. We do some trash talking now. These guys knew how to trash talk, right? Like you come here, your beasts are going to eat of you. And then David said to the Philistine, because whenever you're a good trash talker, you've got to up the other one, right? And David said to the Philistine, the only thing is, when David trash talked, he meant it. And he said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. I mean, that's awesome. That's like somebody coming into your house and they got a gun, they got a machete, you know, and then, I don't know, what else, a sword, I don't know. And he's, and then you're like, you come into my house whenever I have God on my side? Are you an idiot? That's pretty much what he's telling them. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven, or in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." Powerful words. The battle is the Lord's. I want you guys to remember that part. The battle is the Lord's. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck it in the Philistine, uh, struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And I imagine up until the moment that thing hit him in the forehead, this guy's probably laughing like, what is he doing getting a rock out of his bag? But I will tell you, something they don't usually tell you whenever they teach this is, that was a trained weapon. 
A sling in that day would be able to be, they, they would practice it in the fields because that's what a lot of the uh, shepherds would use to run off like predators. Like if a wolf's coming in or a coyote or some kind of animal's coming in, they would use that sling to hit them to get them to run out, right? So he was very well trained in this. Later on, you see that there are sling people who are attached to his military. Like his mighty men were very well skilled in a sling, right? But also, when you use a sling, if you are really good at it, and I've seen people use them, you can get that thing going up to 200 miles an hour. Now imagine a round rock hitting you in the head at 200 miles an hour, right? They weren't prepared for the kind of soldier David was. He was next level because he was trained by God. God was training him his his whole life and anointed him for a moment such as that, right? So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Now, I want you to remember, a lot of times people teach us as being a two-person battle, right? Because they want you to understand that we are not David. Jesus Christ is David. Death and sin is Goliath. Jesus Christ took down death and sin. Last week we celebrated him dying and rising again to defeat death and defeat sin, right? That's how awesome our Jesus is. So David is in the very symbolization. He is the foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do right here in this moment. Okay? So I need you to understand that as we move forward. Because we still have a Philistine army sitting in fear. Right? There's still a Philistine army that's in fear. And then David ran... And stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Let me tell you something. We are still in a spiritual battle in this world. Right? Good versus evil. The people of God versus the people of Satan. The enemy... It's still out there. But with the moment that Jesus Christ defeated sin and death, I can only imagine that moment when he is down there in Hades. Every demonic present in this world, every fallen angel, Satan himself, all knew they made a mistake. In that moment, they said, uh-oh, we've been had again. And this Philistine army just saw their giant fall. The one thing that they had control over the Israelites with was Goliath. And he's gone. And all they could do is scatter. And the moment that Jesus defeated sin and death, it took all power out of Satan's army, out of all the evil in this country, in this world. Victory's ours. The Israelites start to notice that. The Philistines realize, "Uh uh-oh, we have no victory here. So that Israeli army had one or two options. They could have said, all right, good, they're gone. Let's go back home before they come back. Or they can pursue and join that fight. Right? It's not a one-man or a two-person battle. There's armies involved. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath to Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And I am going to say that there's been too long that we have allowed the enemy to take what's ours. It's been too long that we haven't been in the battle. It's been too long that we've been sitting around wondering how we're going to overcome this world. And I want to remind you that last week, 
We celebrated how we overcome the things of this world. We celebrated it. Jesus did it. It is done. It is finished. He said it. It is finished. And the moment that Goliath's head was cut off, it was finished for the Israelites in their war, in their battle. It was now time for them to start enjoying the victory, to start walking in it, to go fight against the, the Philistines, run them off. And we don't do that enough. Right? Whenever Scripture tells us that Jesus died and he rose again, a lot of us are still stuck in that dying part. We're still stuck right there in the tomb, right? And there's a point. The title of this uh, message today is actually called Things Have Changed. And what we celebrated last week was what has changed in our lives. And as Christian people, we, we are really good at understanding that Jesus died for our sins. What we're not under we're good at not good at understanding is is we already have victory, that means. Right? We're not good at getting into that fight. We're not good at moving forward from where things start to change. As I said, the Israelites could have went home and said, Whoo! I'm glad that's over. Now let's prepare for the next time they come back. No. They went all in. They joined. They followed David, right? And so we're going to go to John 16. And we're going to see, Pastor Chad last week talked a lot about David in his message. And we're going to see how David, how this works for David and, and Israel, or in the other apostles. In John 16, 29, it says his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is right after he's saying, I'm going back to heaven to leave my dad because you've seen me, you've seen my father. Right? And they were questioning all this stuff and then Jesus explains what he's saying and that's when they say, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe. This is why we believe that you came from God. This is why we believe you came from God. That's what they're saying. We believe it because now you've said it clearly and we understand it. There came a point in your life when somebody explained to you that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you believed. Right? Right? That's kind of where they're at. Okay, we believe. And then Jesus says, Do you now believe? That's a question. Now, I don't know about you, but if I just told Jesus Christ, I now believe. And then he goes, Do you now believe? I would say, Uh oh, do I not believe? Right? That would have been my question. Like, why is he questioning this? I just told him I did. Then he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it is come, when you will scatter. Each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I want you to understand how this worked for them. These are the very disciples and then you have the 12 apostles who were super close to Jesus. They were trained by Jesus for three years to be an army of God. To do the very works of the Lord. Just like the army of Israel was trained to be able to fight for God. The difference is you can be trained all you want. You can know that you know that God is over everything. But on your own, you'll never actually get it. Right? The only reason why David was able to do what the rest of the army of Israel was not able to do was because he was the anointed one of God. God had anointed him as king. He had placed him in that moment for that very moment to kill Goliath. None of the others had that anointing. They couldn't do it. 
That's why they were in fear. They had no idea how you overcome it, right? And so we have the people following Jesus here, those who've been with him for three years, saying they understand. And Jesus says, no, not only do you not quite understand quite yet, you're actually going to fall away. You're going to return to the way you were, all because you think you can do it, but you can't do it on your own, right? That's basically the words he's saying. But then he says to him, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And I know I'm, I'm going to point this out to some of us. I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but many of us have been with the Lord a long time, some not as long. But I would venture to say we all know there's more that we should be doing, right? We all know that we've been beat down by the world. We all know that... Uh, there's just so much going on, and, and there's something we could probably stand up to, and we're just not doing it, right? And I'm going to share those words with you again. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we look at the world and everything going on in this world, don't let it distract you. It's been overcome. I don't care what you're facing. It has been overcome. Jesus already paid for it. He already fought it. He already won that battle. And we know when you go into chapter 18, we know that Peter, after saying over and over he would not deny Jesus, said, hey, when everybody else falls away, and they will, I'm sure you're right, they will, I won't. Because that's what we do often. We try to walk out on our own and say, no, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not going to fall. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not going to give up. And then whenever we step out in our own strength, every one of us fell, right? We all know we have a calling on our lives. And sometimes when we step into that calling, we have an idea of what we think it should look like. And then whenever that don't pan out, we're like, uh-oh, what now? Right? And don't worry, I'm giving you all the bad stuff before we get into the good stuff. So Jesus says he won't deny him. And says all the other apostles will deny him. And then, shortly after, we see Peter denying Jesus three times. Right? Three times he denies him. As Chad said last week, one time it was when a little girl questioned him. And he was so afraid, he couldn't even stand up to, for himself in that moment. And if you study Peter, it makes no sense that he'd be such a coward in that moment. He seemed so tough on his own until he wasn't. And uh, just remember, there was probably nobody closer to Jesus than Peter. Probably nobody better trained than Peter. Probably nobody who should have been able to do it on his own more so than Peter. Right? But then we go to John 21. And after all the people fell away like Jesus said they would, went back to their homes, they decided, hey, you know what? I don't know what to do. Let's go do what we're good at. So Peter and his buddies go back to fishing. Even though if you remember what he was called to do was to give up fishing and to go fishing for men, to see souls saved, to share the gospel. But as soon as Jesus dies, he forgets how to even do it. He can't do it. And he goes right back to what he's familiar with. So in John 21, it says, and this is verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, this is after Simon's out there, and I'll, I'll quickly share that story because it's one of my favorites from him. So Jesus comes up, he asks about the fish, tells them where to cast their nets again. They bring up more fish than they can carry. And Peter realized, John, I think, is the one that says, it's Jesus. And so Peter puts his clothes back on because there's nobody in here that's going to matter here. They usually fished mostly naked, if not fully naked, because they didn't want to ruin their clothes. So when it says he puts his clothes back on, that's why. You wouldn't fish in full garb because you didn't have a lot of clothes and you didn't want to smell like fish later. And then he jumps in the water and he swims to the shore because he just denied his best friend three times. 
the savior of the universe, he just denied him three times. And so he's like, what? It's Jesus. I got to get up there. And I don't even know if he went faster in a boat, but I guarantee he swam his little heart out. John 21, 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, because Jesus cooked them breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him again, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Now that should have been the moment like, He finally gets it in the moment here. Like before, he's like, God, you don't get it. You don't know everything. I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. And now he's like, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, yet again, feed my sheep. Now, I shared this last year when we went through the Galatians study that uh, when we talk about agape love, Jesus asking him here if he has agape love for him, which is God's complete love. It's a love that humans on their own are not capable of. David before was trying to portray as if he had that kind of love for Jesus. But he couldn't do it on his own and he failed. So whenever God, Jesus is asking him, do you have agape love for me? Peter's response, the word there is not just a, a regular love. It's called uh, phileo love. It's the word for Philadelphia. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. He, he had brotherly love for him. He had a love that any human is capable of coming up with brotherly love, to love a person to the best of their abilities, like a good friend. And so Peter realized in this moment that he did not have agape love. He didn't have that kind of love that God had for him, right? But Jesus keeps telling him to feed my sheep. And being wise, Peter didn't say, like, yeah, I'll do that. He just kept quiet for once in his life. Right? But there comes a time where Peter does everything God calls him to do. Right? He doesn't jump right into it right away. He was trained for three years. He was with Jesus, questioning him the whole time while Jesus is out doing everything. There were several things that the apostles couldn't do that Jesus was doing. And he said it's because prayer and fasting is where these come. And then he also told them their faith wasn't quite there yet. But there's something that changes, right? As I said, we're we're talking about things have changed. From the moment whenever Peter denied Jesus, something had changed before he gets to this moment to realizing, on my own, I can't do it, right? Right? And then there's something that changes from the moment of whenever he realizes he can't do it on his own to the moment where he starts doing it. And Acts 1 says in verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them, this is Jesus, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit now many days from now. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And uh, they didn't quite get it yet. But they're getting there. They're getting there. Like they knew they couldn't do anything on their own, but they're now asking Jesus, like, what is your plan? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I'm going to give you a quick forewarning on that. It says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. When you hear somebody say they're a prophet, and they tell you they know the time and seasons of something, you need to pray about that. Because Jesus says it's not for us to know. Okay? Be weary of that. Over the last few years... There's a whole ton of this around our our nation. Be weary of that. When somebody says they understand the times or they know what the the season is, you better go to prayer before you just buy into that. Because Jesus says it isn't the case, and if Jesus didn't know it, 
Guess what? I don't know it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you look into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We got saved to do the work of God. The moment we're saved, we enter into that victory just like the Philistines did when David cut off the head of Goliath. And we have a place we are to move forward in the things of what God is doing. Right? We're not to sit around looking into heaven wondering when Jesus is coming back and hoping, man, I wish he'd be back. Why can't we go home now? Why can't we go home now? What about now? What about now? We're not to be looking at like one day everything's going to be good. We're going to be in heaven. Guess what? Things are good now. We are in victory. We are living in victory. We just have to realize it. Jesus didn't leave us back here to wait for him. He led us back here to do the work of his father. He left us back here to be witnesses to Judea and all of the earth. And if we're sitting around waiting for Jesus to return, and we're not entering into that victory and doing what he's calling us to do, we're not listening. We're not getting it. And you're thinking like, yeah, but that's easier said than done. And you're right. It is. So the good thing is, we're going to see how it happens. Acts 2. And don't worry, this isn't a Pentecostal day message. Pastor Chad or somebody will preach on Pentecost in 40 more days. Well, I guess 33 or some days. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That's powerful. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. When there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a people, other people come together. Anywhere in history where we've seen an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people are drawn to it. From the first moment it happened, until the moment we've seen it happen just not long ago at many of the revivals in these areas. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not? Are are not all these who are speaking uh, Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking them said, they are filled with new wine. Now, in this moment, this group, there was 120 there when it happened, began speaking in languages that they thought were normal languages and people were hearing what God was doing. And that's like 12 or 15 different people, places. 
And they say that line there that they are filled with new wine. And there's a movement. I'd say it's a movement. It's probably not a movement. It's probably been there since the beginning, since it happened then. But in America, more churches in America say the movement of the Holy Spirit is strange fire. That people are crazy. They're trying to quench the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because people are afraid of when God moves. Satan is afraid when we allow God to move. And in this moment, Peter stands up. And I'm not going to read the message, you can go back and read it, but Peter stands up and preaches one of the greatest messages of all time. And he convicts people for killing Jesus. He tells them everything they did wrong. And 5,000 people receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Something changed. The thing that changed in Peter's life was in the beginning he was doing it on his own and kept failing. And the moment that Jesus died for his sins, he realized how much he needed Jesus because he couldn't do it on his own. And then when Jesus resurrected into heaven, ascended into heaven, and gave the Holy Spirit to be with us forever, Peter was in that moment able to do everything God called him to do. It's quite the thought. We are often trying to do so much on our own. We have all these ideas of what God wants us to do. We have all these ideas of what we're capable of doing. This is how it's always happened. This is how I think it should happen. Well, but I think this, and I promise you, on our own we'll do nothing good. I won't preach the message again about filthy rags, but our works are filthy rags. Right? But when we have the Holy Spirit, something major can happen. And said, now when they heard this, all the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls then. Later on it's five. But uh, I read this. And right before he actually preaches this, people are like, what is this guy doing? He's uneducated. He obviously doesn't know what he's doing, but he's speaking with a strange authority. And you may not know what you need to do, but when you have the Holy Spirit, And as I said, Jesus had talked about the baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And later on, Paul talks to a group and he says, did you guys receive the baptism of of John or did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they say, we know not this Holy Spirit you speak of. And Paul prays over them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, we are saved by grace, through the death of Jesus Christ. We were made righteous in that. And we've been justified with the promise of going to heaven. We will go there. But that's not the end of our story. When he does that, it's, he does that so we will receive the Holy Spirit and be witnesses and to share his gospel and proclaim the news, to tend the sheep, to take care of people And whenever a church sits still, when God's people are sitting there in fear, even after the giant's been beaten, something has to change. Something has to change. I look around this world, and there just isn't enough people doing the work of God. And if you're in here today and you're not doing the work of God, don't leave here today without praying about it. And Ryan, you can come on up. And uh, 
I think about this very thing, and as I said before we got started, could not be a greater sermon illustration than a little Johanna Ricketts. I guess I shouldn't say little, I think she's taller than me now. But <laughs> Johanna Ricketts trained to do the work of God. Her parents raised her in the right way to go. She's been a teacher's assistant for the last couple of years in children's church. And when the moment, and oh my goodness, you ever talked to her, you know she is saved. You know she's, got, she's a spirit-filled believer. She loves God. And the moment God said, like like moment the moment the time came when God wanted her to use her gift, she didn't sit there and hesitate. She didn't think like, what if the kids make fun of me? She didn't think like, what if I mess up? She said, yes. Yes. 13 years old, the same Holy Spirit in her is the same Holy Spirit that should be in you. Same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Holy Spirit that spoke through Peter and 3,000 people are saved. The same Holy Spirit that struck Paul blind. The same Holy Spirit that Paul received and went around all the world spreading the gospel is the same Holy Spirit that wants to use you to minister to his people today. And if we do not know that Holy Spirit, if we have not received that baptism as Saul says it, we will pray over you. And if you're not at a place yet to receive that, we'll pray over you again. And then we'll pray over you again. And we'll pray next week and the week after and the week. But I am telling you, stop sitting around waiting for a victory in your life. The victory is already here. Jesus is that victory. He already paid the price. He already made victory. And if those Israelites, after David slayed Goliath, just went home, I don't think God would have blessed them. And if we just go home and we wait for the next battle, where, what is there to bless? How could he bless us if we're just sitting around? There's work to be done. He called us to do it. He sent his Holy Spirit to do it through us. When, when Peter fell asleep, in the garden when Jesus said come and don't fall asleep and Peter and the, and the other guys fall asleep he actually looks at Peter and he says the spirit is willing but your flesh is weak and Peter still didn't get it until this moment whenever he was talking to Jesus and Jesus is telling him passionately loves he's like my flesh is weak your flesh is weak on your own you cannot do this but the spirit is willing and ready if you need prayer, I'll be up here. Jason will come up here with me. We'll pray over you. If you want to pray alone, come up here to this altar and pray. If you're at home, pray. Call one of us. We'll pray with you. But it's not time to sit around. So I'm going to pray before we get into the, all this and then... Ryan's going to worship. And we're going to worship a God who deserves it. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you you already defeated the giants in our lives, Lord. Father God, I'm sorry for the times that we sit around looking at how big the enemy is even though you beat him. Father God, I pray that the people here, the people at home, myself, Lord, that we repent of all those moments. Father God, that we would no longer try to do it on our own or, or sit around and think it's too big, Lord. But instead, that we would walk in victory, Lord. We would receive your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit right now, Lord, in this place that people would receive your Holy Spirit, that their gifts would be just put into action, Lord, and we can walk in that victory. We can do the works you've called us to do because your Holy Spirit is willing. Father God, I thank you in advance for the amazing work you're going to do. In Jesus' name.
know, there's always a time to take your your sins to the cross. There's always a, a daily walking in repentance of giving over your flesh. But if you just stay right there at the altar and you never get out of it, I don't know that you fully received the grace of God. And then there's that moment when you realize that that Jesus had paid for those sins and you're willing to let that let those sins go and you're willing to move forward. And then you walk out of that that tomb and you know it's all been paid for. And you're sitting there and you're looking up to heaven and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're thinking like, I just wish he would come back. I'm getting tired of waiting. I'm getting tired of waiting. And if you're in that moment, I'm promising you, either you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you have allowed it to grow cold in you. The Holy Spirit will not sit there idle. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is when you begin to move. You begin to do. You begin to be a part of that work, of that victory. And there's, it is great to turn and repent. It is great to realize your sins have been paid for. But if you haven't began to do the works that God has called us to, you are missing the greatest blessing of your life next to your salvation. And I'm going to close with some prayer, and I want you to think about that this week. Where are you at? Are you still sitting there at the cross hoping God will take your sins? Are you sitting there looking into heaven waiting for Him to get back? Or if you move forward, is He able to use you? If we can get to be a church, a people that God can use, the whole world will change. Just like it did in Acts. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you yet again for who you are, Lord. God, as we go through this week, I pray you help us in this, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in us, Lord. That you would show us the works you have for us, God. And we can we can speak as people who know you, Lord. We can speak with the authority that the Holy Spirit put inside of us, Lord. That we can we can allow your Holy Spirit to use us this week, God. And moving forward, Lord. Bless yourself through your people, Lord. We thank you for how awesome you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.